When you're ready, let's start this journey. Welcome to BCPL Unstacked, and let's unwind with award-winning filmmaker, novelist, and podcaster, Terry Miles. Let's find out about his writing process, his new novel, Rabbits, as well as his podcast by the same name, The Public Radio Alliance, Alternate Reality, and Love of Libraries. Hey, this is Sarah from the Bay County Public Library. And this is Stephen from the Huntsville-Madison County Public Library. Definitely want to thank you, Terry, for joining us here today. Uh, we are kind of looking forward to this one quite a bit because uh, we've been enjoying the podcast. We've enjoyed the book. Can you introduce your, uh, our listeners to your new title, Rabbits? My name is Terry, and my new book is called Rabbits. Um, and it's about a potentially dangerous underground game that may or may not exist. And the protagonist, Kay's journey to finding out what's wrong with the game when Kay is visited by a... Uh, enigmatic billionaire. I guess I can spoil that uh, uh, initial first chapter, second chapter moment. Um, and that sets in motion uh, a, a journey through a, a world of weirdness. It, it definitely has like a, a, a fight club matrix, uh, the game kind of feel to it. Oh yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. And that, my, my synopsis is why they don't let me have anything to do with what's written on the back jacket. <laughs> What are the differences in writing for a novel versus the fictional serial podcast that you've been doing for a while? For me, writing fiction came first. I, um, I ended up, I was a recovering musician and I went back to school for um, creative writing. And I, I did two degrees there. I didn't learn how to write, but I had a lot of time to write. So, um, so that was cool. And it was all it wasn't all, we, we did three disciplines, fiction, stage, and screen. And um, fiction was my, was my everything, uh, really. But I ended up making a movie while I was there that got into the Toronto International Film Festival. So then I'd be, I was a filmmaker for, for a long time before I um, decided I wanted to make television in America. And it turns out they don't care if, if you're a Canadian um, independent filmmaker in America. So. Uh, I turned my attention to podcasts, which I'd always loved since 2004. Um, I made like a how-to indie film podcast and then, you know, came up with the idea for the Black Tapes uh, in like 2014. And then, yeah, and then it was podcasting for a long time. And, um, but I always wanted to write a book and my agent was, was bugging me. He's like, you got to get back to fiction. And, um, and yeah, so having said all of that and answered none of your question, um, writing fiction is, uh, is my first love, but writing um, podcasts is a great combination of both because I was a screenwriter and a fiction writer and the two together, it just, it just and also as a listener to, you know, NPR and KCRW and all, all podcasts over the years, it just was a natural fit. Podcasting came about because Serial was ongoing and I was thinking there's no way we'll have another Serial so I better make a fake one so that when that one's done, we have something else to, to that's the same. Um, but uh, yeah, that's how podcasting came about. Yeah, Rapids, you get hooked so quickly. Like I just kept, I think I burned through the first season in like a weekend because I kept wanting to know what happened next. Oh, cool. Well, thanks. Um, it's always nice to talk to somebody who, who shares a passion for, for something. I ended up here, but went back in my college days, I was studying radio, television, communications kind of thing. And for my final project back in 
2002-ish. Uh, yeah. I did a, a, a podcast uh, audio drama and in hindsight, I wish I had a stuck with it since how you kind of see where all this stuff goes nowadays, but here we are. So yeah. you mentioned you do screenwriting, you do prose, you do podcasting. Which of those styles of writing do you enjoy the most? Well, I, I wouldn't, I would never want to lose any of them because they are, I know, as I think a lot of people are like me that, that um, are uh, type A, I guess, or work a lot. And that I procrastinate by moving, not doing the dishes and cleaning the house or, you know, doing nothing. I procrastinate by doing something entirely different. So if I'm tired of a book, I'll start writing a, an audio, a, you know, a podcast or, or something else. So um, I need them all. But I think, I don't know, I think prose is probably the, mo the, the most pure in that from what you write down to what is ingested by um, by the audience or the reader in that case. Like it just feels like there's less. I'm not navigating an actor's life and their sort of take on the character. But but I mean, oftentimes actors will bring, you know, more to the role than you initially in, envision. But um, but prose, I think, is definitely the the um, the purest pipeline to to saying what you want to say. But again, there's so many words. Writing a, writing a screenplay is far easier. I can, if I've outlined it already, I can write a screenplay in a weekend, whereas a book is, is you know, forever. But I mean, the coming up with the story and, and the beginning, middle, and an end is the hardest part of all of them. Gotcha. Yes, I did listen to videos of rhubarbs growing, uh, which were mentioned in the book. How do you stumble across some of these more obscure trivia in rabbits to kind of help make it feel almost like an immersive um, escape room? Well, yeah, that's interesting. I think it's just being interested in like weird stuff and, and just, um, you know, I don't remember specifically how I came up with that. That, um, I think it could just be like sonic weirdness that um, I was listening to and that one stuck as, as um, something that he could say that was, you know, sometimes the characters say things, I have no idea what they're talking about. Um, uh, like what, you know, what um, direction they're going to go in. But uh, yeah, rhubarb growing, it's, it's a horror soundtrack for sure. <laughs> yes. I encourage everyone to watch the videos on, on YouTube for that. <laughs> and, um, and I'm not sure how you keep all your clues and your series of events straight in your novel. Where the reveals happen, you don't spoil anything down the line, and some things kind of uncover and resurface later. Are you more of a plotter or a discovery author? Both um, at different times. It's it's hard. It it's like I'm like everyone has their own way. It's you can do it either way. There are so many cases. Like the things that I find are the most um, creatively successful for me, and in turn. Um, audience building success are things that I just started, you know, pantsing, like just started writing and who cares, there's two people in a room, let's see what happens. But that can lead to madness. I mean, with the novel in particular, it took me a long time. It took me a million words to write the 120,000 that are, that are there mm -hmm. specifically because I just went crazy. I just started writing whatever I wanted and looked up 20,000 words later and sent it to my agent um, and said, if you can sell this, I'll finish it. But uh, 
Um, I don't know how it ends. And he says, well, don't tell them that. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it worked out. I really, I, you know, I like the way it worked out, but it, it was a lot of rewriting. There's a lot more work, I think, when you start off just, um, you know, with blue skies, but uh, it can be far more rewarding than having to hit tent poles. But I, you know, but eighty percent of what I do, there's there's outlines, and then you're hitting you're hitting the guideposts, but you're changing and surprised all the time. So it's it's always both ways are wonderful. But but if I'm going to procrastinate and slip over to something, I'm just going to start with a blank page, and just do do whatever you know comes into my mind, which is fun. One of the, I get, get, we were talking about kind of like characters that just not knowing where they're going sometimes uh, with the different formats, obviously season one of rabbits and or you have rabbits that is the podcast format. You have rabbits now that is a standalone novel that is the continuation of said podcast. Um, do you find that you typically would kind of cast the voices of the character and then write the dialogue to those particular people? Or is it more writing the character first and then casting to the to the character um the character first um although there are there's always with with most of my podcasts not all but most of them there's a npr style narrator so the whoever is the that narrator needs to be um a listener to uh that type of material i've tried it other ways with wonderful actors who um from television or stage and they if they if they don't listen not if they haven't heard but they have to actually listen and get that that rhythm and and you know tone to the thing otherwise it doesn't work so um so it's kind of like a mix of both like i need a specific type of narrator but 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 yeah i'm not writing with anyone in mind gotcha you're not you don't have a like a dream cast going into it kind of thing and and, and writing toward, you know, uh, like a Keanu Reeves type. I just write it like I would think how Cal Keanu kind of would speak kind of thing or. If Keanu wanted to do a podcast, then I would write it for Keanu Reeves <laughs> very specifically um, <laughs> right away for free. <laughs> you said that uh, you're a recovering musician. I am a recovering wrestling watcher. And I know that you are a, uh, you had a film starring one Stone Cold Steve Austin. I did. Uh, yeah. Were you a, are you a wrestling fan to, to start off with that or? Um, I watched wrestling when I was younger and I loved it. And I'm from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. We had oh. stampede wrestling. Like we had like, it was, you know, it was old school, you know, uh, it was a big part of the culture. So um, although I didn't continue on after I was that young, I, uh, I was there. <laughs> it was on TV all the time. I want to thank you because you've just called back one of my favorite uh, wrestlers, Lance Storm. And when he would come out there and be the bad guy, he was like, I'm from Calgary, Alberta, <laughs> Canada. <laughs> um, but the reason why I, I kind of get into, the, into the, the wrestling conversation is because obviously with, with Rabbits, you had a biweekly kind of uh, writing process. Did you write that all at front and then just kind of record it over a course of a year? Did you pace it out and then get listener feedback, kind of like, uh, you know, if a story is working in wrestling, they'll go with it. If it's not, they kind of change directions. Is, is that the kind of process that you'd work with editing on a bi-weekly podcast? Um, I set it up bi-weekly um, with the first one, the Black Tapes, uh, which was the first one I did, only because 
I wasn't finished mixing. I didn't know how long mixing would take because there was no, um, there was no such thing as a fake serial audio drama. I made the first one for better or worse. Now that genre exists. But um, when I came up with the idea for the black tapes, I brought it to a co-writer friend of mine. And, uh, you know, I said, I want to make a, a fake serial. It didn't exist. So uh, I didn't know. And as a, a music producer engineer for my own bands, I had that set of skills. So I just left us. We did the first two episodes in the writing and then I was just like, okay, well, we'll just say it's every two weeks. Um, now, a lot of audio dramas were two weeks for a long time, but I think people have figured out like, get it in the can and then release it weekly, like TV. Mm. That's the best way to go. But, but back then it was, we did two weeks and then everyone started doing two weeks. So it became a thing for a while, but, um, but yeah, for me, it was just, I just wanted a little bit of uh, extra runway to, to mix and to sort of stretch out the fan because the audience built very, we didn't advertise anywhere or anything. So it was all word of mouth. So we needed that, um, that extra time to gain traction. So it's not a matter of uh, adjusting things on the fly. It's by the time we're hearing it, everything's already been decided. Yeah, I mean, being small and able to move quickly could, if there was a character that everyone absolutely hated, like inconceivably, it could work like an alternate reality game where you are sort of adjusting or, or wrestling, where you're adjusting the, the narrative to, you know, to what the fans are, are enjoying and digging um, at the time. We didn't really do that, but, um, but it's it was definitely set up for that. We might do that in the future. Kind of, I guess, because uh, I know you were saying like uh, with one of your other projects, uh, Tannis, it was kind of inspired by Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that. And how you know, it's that interactive kind of quality to it where you might have an idea, but sometimes the players, the characters take in the different direction and, and you kind of improv it as long as you, you can. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, um, the, the audiences are so rabidly excited about uh, something like Tannis and then you but you get those voices that are just you know um, hate listening to, to things so it's hard to to incorporate incorporate um, like incorporating audience feedback in something like these things that are so I don't know, specific is 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 tricky um, but uh, but I love the idea because as an alternate reality game fan like I ran an alternate reality game years ago and it was all about like, that's the whole thing is when you're just sort of one or two people sitting in a room. Um, I made like six months worth of story that was, they finished in like eight minutes or something. You know, as soon as they got the, like they read, you know, 63 pages and been through 49 fake websites and they had everything like mapped out on like um, wiki forums. And I was like, oh my God, I'm exaggerating. <laughs> it took a, took a few days, but still it was wild. And then for the rest of the six months that it was meant to be going and it was just like interacting completely uh, live with, with the, the players. And so, yeah, it was made up as we went, which is, was so fun. That's awesome to be able to see how it all plays out with the audience. Have you had any surreal moments like described in the book, coincidences, you know, a sense of deja vu ever happened to you personally? Yeah, I've had some weird things. I had something when I was um, in Europe in around like 2003 or something. Um, I had a really strange encounter on a, on a bridge in London where some guy came up and said some, some very strange things to me and I didn't think really much of it. And then like seven, eight years later, 
I was working in a hair salon. Was it that long? No, it was only actually about maybe about four or five years later. I was working in a hair salon at uh, as a receptionist, and some and a strange dude like walked by the glass a few times, came in and said almost the identical thing to me, and then walked out. And I was like asking the my, you know, well, there were a bunch of musicians working there, so we could go on tour and take time off. So it was like three of us. I'm like, what the hell? Did you hear that? And yeah, so that was very strange. Um, I won't repeat what he said. It was kind of a Star Wars thing and it was very weird. But uh, um, yeah, there, there are things like that. And I'm not really a true believer. So when things happen that seem like um, strange or uh, synchronicities, synchronous, <laughs> looking for that uh, adjective, um, synchronous, uh, then th those things um, I tend to, be amazed in the moment and then forget whereas I feel like a lot of people will be like oh my god that's very good that's a signpost it's time for me to to um you know I, I'm on the right path or whatever whereas I just I'm like oh of course of course your mom called when you were thinking about her because that's what happened she's someone who calls you but they're out there <laughs> they there are, are really weird ones out there um, <laughs> and I've experienced some so yeah Maybe I'm too scared to to um, to believe. Yeah, it's well. There's always going to be coincidences too. So it's like, where do you? I don't know. It would be more likely to have coincidences, not have coincidences. There's a saying somewhere about that, and I don't know what it is. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> Something like that. The feel of rabbits is kind of like part thriller. It's kind of got a little bit of urban legend, creepy pastaness with horror even. But um, the pacing of it is very calming. And it might be because of that NPR style um, narrator or, or, or the pacing in the book. Um, what would you kind of describe? Like, what would the genre be? What would you call it? That's, it's interesting. I don't, I, um, so it's, I guess it's just my style because I didn't really think about, it. I mean, it feels like a thriller when I think about it, but I mean, I just only wrote like the way that I, I guess do <laughs> for lack of a better term. Like that's uh, yeah. I mean, it just has to be an amalgam of all the, uh, I, I read so much and love books and have my whole life. So it just has to be the os osmosis of all the influences. That's what came out. Like uh, all of the Paul Oster and Murakami and, you know, whatever else. I'm looking at the book shelf right now, but it's all literary fiction up there. Yeah, I think I think it's the a love of, of books um, that resulted in a style that is what it is. Like it just is that. Its own genre. Yeah, some yeah, it's its own genre. <laughs> yeah. I want to jump back to to the question she was talking previously about uh, kind of having those coincidences and senses of deja vu, um, and how you were talking about how you you kind of were didn't want to commit to believing to some of it sometimes. Um, obviously, with with rabbits, you're delving into a lot of questioning of truths. You're a lot of conspiracy kind of stuff. And obviously we are living in a society right now where everybody is questioning anything and everything. Uh, so how do you keep yourself from getting dragged down those darker conspiracy rabbit holes that are so popular nowadays? Yeah, that, that didn't exist when I, when I, uh, there was no QAnon when I um, made rabbits, or at least I hadn't heard of it. I think Pizzagate existed, but 
it seemed like those lunatics were just going to stay in the fringes and and um uh that didn't happen but, but it felt like like it seemed fine like now conspiracy feels almost irresponsible you know it's it's uh it's tough i i love that type of um like i love even like books like you know dune which is like you know the movie's coming out and it's a very there's conspiracy like throughout the entire thing like it's there's just so much conspiracy and stuff that i love and anytime there's a thriller that's moving quickly there's a there's a some kind of conspiracy involving a corporation or an entity like you know blade runner i mean everything is conspiracy um to some degree in thriller genre so it's tough to avoid but yeah i i don't like it i wish they would i wish that stuff would go away I wish it wasn't so dangerous and, and like, um, you know, I wish we still had truth and science. I mean, we do, but I wish that we agreed on what those were. One of my earliest library memories is I remember going to my, my local public library and there was a book that was put out by the Church of the Subgenius called High Weirdness by Mail. And it was just a big old book full of uh, right off to this company to or this address to find out about flat earth or the fake moon landings and stuff like that and it was such a novel thing to be able to just play with because it was a a joke and now it's yeah it's it's the complete opposite kind of thing yeah. where it's like right off to this weirdness to find out how the moon landing was really real yeah yeah the 14 times is not the news <laughs> we have to have some kind of agreement on that that's scary <laughs> Oh my gosh. What is the strangest thing in your search history while researching for your novel? <laughs> I, I was listening to a reply all episode where they did search history stuff. A couple <laughs> of I was thinking, I do not want anyone to see my search history. I, I was looking up something the other day and it was like um, something with gunpowder and because somebody blew something up in something I was writing. <laughs> it just, just feels so weird to type like homemade bomb into your, um, into Google. Yeah, as a writer, there's so many, like, I mean, you just, everything is, <laughs> rhubarb growing is pretty weird. <laughs> there, there are just so many, so many things in my search history, but that, as I'm typing it, I'm thinking the Echelon satellite is tracking this right now. And there's gonna be somebody looking at this thinking, that's uh, fine. He's in Los Angeles right now, it's okay. <laughs> should be a, a pop-up saying writer as opposed yeah. to you know <laughs> lone <Yeah>. extremist <laughs> what's the process that you go through to, to balance the truth uh where where you're wanting the story to take you versus um the reader listener because a lot of what you're, you're you're putting out there is is a reality kind of thing with, with, there's pieces of truth to the the story behind it so how do you balance that yeah it's all i mean that that stuff is kind of always been key to to what I like started doing um what, what I've always wanted to do from the Dungeons and Dragons days from everything that I do now is kind of what I was into when I was nine so it's like all of um the the faux reality or the real reality or connecting Charles Manson to Tannis because he was in the Pacific Northwest in a prison and like those kind of things are possible I don't know it's it's fascinating to me the weirdness of the world and if you're able to sort of you know pepper that in to to what you're doing it just and it just adds veracity but it kind of is true you know like it, it's um why not why like is there rabbits um am i making this up um 
those are the questions. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's a huge part of it is having like me. It's it's because I'm interested in those things really. Like I am interested in the very weird and the and the um, the fringy sort of like Rasputin and Nicholas Flamel and all like the they're genuine interests of mine. So that's why they're they're there. So let's uh, let's build off that real quick. Let's assume rabbits is the truth. Do you have a contingency plan? Should they come after you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel like just making the writing the book is enough protection. That's like the the conceit of the, of making the podcast and writing the book. You're like, who? They can't take me out. I would. I'm like, it would be so obviously real. Then. And do you have listeners and um, readers who do think it's real or or? Um, well, because it is real. I um, yes, they're not wrong. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, I get emails uh, weekly at least where, where people are um, either upset that they read somewhere that it wasn't real and mm -hmm. why would you know they thought it was, or people who are like, wait, is this not real? Did I just listen to ten episodes of this? Like, is this? This seems like there are elements that might not be real. You know, so it's a it's a usually there's 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 usually there's one or two a week. For sure. And, uh, and, you know, how much of it is real? Certainly, uh, a lot of it is real. So, it, mm -hmm. it, um, I mean, we have to protect the innocent and, and change names in certain situations, obviously. Mm -hmm. it, it definitely has like a, uh, an Andy Kaufman-esque nature to it, where you, you never want to kind of get a full look behind the curtain of, of what's, what's the gag and what's not the gag kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, or kayfabe, is that what they call it? Yes, right? yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's definitely a balance that's um, that's very interesting to to try to uh, maintain the, the 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 aspects that are true and the aspects that may not be or may have been changed to protect the innocence. It's a it's a struggle. And um, I'm going to lead it into a different direction. Elon Musk did a podcast interview back in. 2018, that if you assume any rate of improvement at all, games will eventually be indistinguishable from reality. We're most likely in a simulation. And this theory came out before Musk, and then Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson even says that the simulation theory has a better than 50-50 odds, which I cannot wrap my head around the, um, the, the simulation theory, but I, it reminded me of when I was reading Rabbit, I thought of it because of the merge of alternate reality and the gaming and um, not sure what's happening is real or not. Um, what are your thoughts in general? Well, I think that's definitely possible. I mean, because it seems silly, uh, uh, you know, to start the, like, are we living in a simulation? It seems like crazy to say, but are, aren't we headed towards perfecting a simulation? as a society, it seems like the way video games are progressing and the way artificial intelligence is moving, that if we um, project out, say, 100, 200 years, don't we think that we might be able to make something that's in indistinguishable from real life? I would say probably at some point we will if religious wars don't destroy the planet first. But let's say people don't destroy the world over imaginary skymen, then eventually we're going to reach a point where we can perfect a simulation and if we are gonna reach that point, we're gonna make more than one, right? And if there's more than one, let's say we can make infinite um, simulations, what the hell would make us think we're living in the one real one, I guess is the argument for simulation theory, which, you know, 
that would be pretty arrogant to assume that we're the ones that live in the true reality when there are infinite simulations occurring at the same time. I mean, chances are we would be in one of the simulations. I mean, I think that simulation true, and it seems like it makes perfect sense to me. Um, although I don't really think we're living in a simulation, I think that it makes more sense than, you know, a talking snake in a tree or something. I'm still working on it. It's, um, yeah. <laughs> It leads you down an inception hole. Because I mean, if we're inside the inside the uh, the simulation and we're already working toward making simulations, how many simulations down are we in this in this simulation hole? Yeah, we were kind of talking about how uh, it has a immersive kind of escape room kind of feel, and I have recently discovered a beautiful place out in uh, Las Vegas uh, called Meow Wolf, which has like a uh, an immersive art ex. Uh, it's kind of a combination art exhibit slash escape room kind of feel to it. And if anything was ever gonna translate it as, as well as it could, I think rabbits would be a great example. Um, do you have any kind of ideas or plans to expand into a different format and make it a, a, a virtual, uh, an actual physical experience? That would be really cool. I, um, Meow Wolf just, just did something new, I think. I just got an email from, from them that said something new opened. I think it was yesterday or today. But I haven't been to the, the Las Vegas one. Um, I've been to Sleep No More in New York, which is really cool. Um, it's, uh, it's one of the first, I think, immersive theater escape room kind of um, like you go in and then and people in your party are experiencing different things, speak to different characters and, and going through a sort of a scary um, experience. So yeah, no, that, that's definitely a big part of um, the future plans for rabbits. Yeah, I'd love to, to take it into, into the real world. So you have a lot of different projects going on. How do you juggle everything? Obviously, you, you say you're a recovering musician, but I'm guessing that the, the, you might be off the wagon a little bit based on the, the, the two <laughs> guitars behind you. Not um, enough. Yeah, that's my plan. My plan is to, uh, but yeah. You do blogging, podcasts, producing, film. So how do you juggle it all? Uh, right now, it's basically just podcasting and um, uh, fiction, but uh, um, nonfiction masquerading as fiction, obviously. Um, but, you know, television adaptations of the shows are, you know, have been ongoing. Um, I've written pilots and just none of them have been made yet. So that, I love that because it's a nice way to get back to screenwriting, which is, you know, something that I did, did for so long and love so much. Um, but yeah, no, it's 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 mainly just podcasts and well, the TV stuff too. Yeah, so it's 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 just being able. It's it's procrastinating by doing more work. That's that's the the way to do it. It's like spinning plates. You always have to spin a lot of plates if you're not J.J. Abrams or or something. I, I find like when I was an independent filmmaker in Canada, I needed to do everything. I need. I wrote like um, you know, a Chuck Norris adaptation for very little money over here. I did like some consulting on transmedia over here and I would direct a movie, you know, lucky enough to direct one with Stone Cold Steve Austin, who's a, an amazing dude. He's just so cool and funny and that was great. Um, yeah, so I, I had to do all those things. And then, you know, now my whole, my brain is wired that way to just don't stop. As, as an American and knowing how much of our entertainment comes from Canadians, I just assumed they passed out TV shows as soon as y'all were born up there. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's rough. It's rough. <laughs> TV is a tough one. 
Canadian television is a, is a bit of a challenge too. It's hard to, um, to, to there are some good ones, but it's, uh, you, have to pick, you have to pick through to find them. Your lead characters in the Rabbits podcast and the book are both female gamers and your female characters feel really real. Uh, do you have any inspirations behind Carly Parker from the podcast and Kay from the book? And why did you decide on that decision? Well, with Carly, yeah, I, there's just, I don't know. I, I think it's because like, I just, it's like when I make movies, I, I usually have female leads. I don't know, women are much, much more, um, like maybe it's because Christoph Kieslowski and Ingmar Bergman, like I, like these are my, my favorite filmmakers and it's always this sort of central female protagonist. And, and I just, you know, there's just something about turning your camera or your microphone uh, in, um, in a different direction from yourself. That's like, you know, and I was really close to my mom and sister. I mean, I still am. So uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's not, it's not really conscious. Um, it just happened, you know, to make Carly Parker. Maybe it's because Sarah Koenig is, is, a, is, a fe is female. And it just was like, it, it's a, is it gonna be Ira Glass or Sarah Koenig? I prefer to listen <laughs> to Sarah Koenig. I love them both, but uh, you know, that's just my preference. Oh, I enjoy both of the characters. Thank you. You have a production company called uh, Minnow Beats Whale. And I was wondering if you could kind of share with us a little bit about the philosophy of, of what goes into obviously the name of that to start off with. Yeah, that was just kind of, that's a holdover from the independent film days where when I was in school, when I made my first movie that got into the Toronto Film Festival, everybody was kind of, um, it, was, it was around the time that, uh, Joe Swanberg and the Duplass brothers were making mumblecore movies and uh, the people I was going to school with were all you know convinced that you needed a, a ton of people and lights and all this accoutrement to make a movie and for what I was seeing in the um, in film festivals and stuff was it like it's two people it's one person with a camera it's like and these movies are going to huge film festivals you know it's not it's no longer required with the advent of digital video, you don't need the film team. So yeah, that was, so I ended up making my first movie with myself as the only crew. I put wireless mics on the actors. I got really good at hiding them. And then, uh, so there was no boom op or anything. And then when that, that film got into Toronto and it was, um, it changed my life. And that was just, the only reason I was able to make that is because I was small. And so that was Minnow Beats Whale. And uh, just, and, and then my philosophy, Kubrick did, did that um, his crews were super small when he made movies in England. It was, of course he was not small, I mean, Stanley Kubrick, but he had the small, it was always like, I have 10 people, I'm gonna make this movie. Whereas here we have 120 people doing the jobs of, you know, 30. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just a different way to, it just ended up, I, I was feeling like you could move faster work cheaper you could get your locations were airbnbs you know it just it was a philosophy it remains still the same with the things that i do unless they're funded by, by someone else um does that influence how you kind of decide when projects are going to end and which new ones you're going to take up just based on how you try to keep it small and not wanting to overburden yourself or the people you're working with um it just is that that part is just based on inspiration for another season of tanis there needs to be enough stuff to, to do it or a reason to do it or the um you know the spark of the story point that that makes it happen in here you know uh, that makes me come up with the um starting point uh yeah and the same 
it's the same with with books although there is a rabbit sequel that i've started writing so that's uh that's um exciting any thoughts of when that might be coming out or still if you're in the beginning of the process i'm in the beginning of the process <laughs> chapter five maybe? we'll look forward to it space ace is from the 80s and there's other arcade games sprinkled throughout rabbits did you grow up in arcades and is there any favorites i grew up at the tail end of arcades but yeah i mean i love all those games there's um there are some uh bars and restaurants in in los angeles where i am currently um that uh, ha have all of the the old games so it's been it's been really cool to I mean, I'm sure like most cities uh, ha have some sort of retro bowling alley or something that has a has a missile command or a, you know, it, it'd be hard to, I haven't seen Space Ace though. Uh, so there's Dragon's Lair in a couple places here, but I haven't seen Space Ace. That would be, those games are so frustrating though. If you don't remember the order to do moves in, it's just, it's just dying constantly. I think at one point I had managed to get a copy of, it was the three of them, Space Ace, Dragon's Lair, and there was one other whose name's escaping me right now, but they had made it Dragon's into a- Two probably. Yeah, they had made it into a, a DVD that you could yeah, play have, with just your- <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I have that and I still can't remember the moves. We, we, we kind of touched a couple times on this about how a lot of your uh, role-playing games have influenced a lot of what you've done here. Are you still a gamer? Do you have to find time to game? What, what, how's that working out for you? Uh, no, I don't. I, I would love to to find a game, a D&D &D game. That would be so... I bought the, um, like, I think the fifth version. I have the books um, and I have so many dice, but uh, but I haven't been able to do it. No, I mean, planning on doing a podcast, like a D&D &D podcast um, and then, you know, recruiting a group that way and and, you know, making it work so that, it felt like something that we that had to be done, but uh, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd love to find a game. I, I plan to post COVID. And I know, unfortunately, all all my groups kind of died off right before COVID. And I've managed to salvage, but I invited myself into a group kind of thing <laughs> where we were able that. to, yes, where we were able to do it online at least. But yeah, it's definitely changed a lot dramatically of how things happen. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. At first, it was. When we were still spraying down our groceries and stuff, it was okay. Like I was like, "Oh, this is good. I've, I'll get some work done. I, I'll get some um, some more writing done. I'll I'll just." And then as the months go by, I'm just gonna stockpile. And then eventually, it's like I don't want to wake up. This is the worst. Seems like there's light at the end of the tunnel now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've heard that from a lot of authors. Where during uh, the beginning of coronavirus, it's just like no urge to write. And I have a lot of artist friends who didn't create for a long stretch. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't what I thought that I would just stockpile material. Um, <laughs> it was a struggle. We've also heard a lot of them say that, yeah, we haven't gamed in a while, but we're looking for a group. So we might have to set you all up together to see, to see how it plays out. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool. <laughs> we are a library podcast. How have libraries impacted your life? Um, I, yeah, I love library in, in, um, I'm Canadian. I mean, I've been in America for five years, but um, in Canada, we have a really good library. I mean, in each province, we have a great library system. So city, I guess we moved down. But the Vancouver public, I was there all the time. I would, 
I would just like, I would hit the limits of books we were allowed. So we were allowed like, I think like eight books and like six DVDs or something. So I would take DVDs home and books home every, every week. So it was just, it was just like, and I was just spent, it's just such a great place to get lost in the library with all, all just everything. But, but nowadays with the advent of online, I, I'm rarely in the library. It, it's uh, I miss it actually. I spent so so many hours in the library. Yeah, I like the. It's, it's fun to look at their background behind you. And this is not the real life. No, I didn't. I didn't it think was. it was. It looks like a, it's in the Vatican somewhere or something. You know, like a the Vatican. only one that doesn't make my hair look too weird with the um the green yeah. screen. <laughs> yeah, it looks like an anatheum somewhere somewhere. That's mm -hmm. that's cool. Um, Rabbits, the, the novel that you have, when I say Rabbits this time, I'm talking the, the book versus Rabbits season one or season two available now on Stipture Premium. When you are writing the two different types, do you find there is much difference in how you, you kind of lay it out in your mind, seeing how one is going to be recorded for audio play versus being read? Yeah, now there is between the, the book and the second season of the podcast, because when I did the first season of the podcast, I didn't think I was going to do more rabbits outside of potentially like a television adaptation or something. So it wasn't, I didn't set out to write a, a book of rabbits. My book agent, who's amazing, but just kept bugging me to write something, write, write some prose. Um, and I said, I wrote some, I wrote a Tannis thing and he was like that's too literary it's just not right and I was like oh wow you've had no problem just saying that to me <laughs> uh, and then so, the, so I was like okay and then like it was another year before he got a couple editors to call me and they're like well we should do a Tannis book we should do this and I was like I don't know okay I'll try and then I sat down and I just ended up um, writing rabbits it just came out like I just was like in the arcade they came to the art well whatever that the first paragraph is and then that was it. That first paragraph never changed. And then, yeah, really the first 20,000 words didn't change that much after. And I think it works really well as a standalone. You don't have to have done the podcast at all. It, it dives you into everything, the world building. So it was a fun read. Oh, well, thank you. Oh, yeah. And I didn't answer Stephen's question, but yeah, the, <laughs> the difference. Yeah. Now the difference, well, the mythology of rabbits is um, set up in the first season for good or bad. Um, and then that exists. So even though we may be living in a multiverse where things can change, the, sometimes existing mythology can be an anchor around your neck that perpetually drags you down and makes you write more words. Um, so huh. now I think it's, it's a lot easier to, um, to bounce back and forth between huh. the formats. So it's why you got to just embrace the, uh, the comic book philosophy of retconning is your friend you never know when something is just going to change completely yeah retconning is uh, I, I, that's yeah that's a struggle too I, you never want to retcon and you never want to do adr in a movie <laughs> i always want to have like dialogue captured live out of curiosity because we, we we've mentioned tanis a couple cut times and i know my first experience with that particular name so i'm wondering if it has any connection were you inspired by the uh dragonlance novels to pick that name I love the Dragonlance novels. Um, I don't, I, it's so funny that I don't think Tannis half elven is why I came up with Tannis. I think Tan, like Tannis is just, when I conceived of this place, it was like, or when I heard about it for the first time, uh, Tannis 
just seemed like a great name, you know? And I think maybe it's Rosemary's Baby, maybe it's Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Tannis from Dragonlance probably in there too. There's probably like, it just, it would seem like the only name, it was the only thing I thought of. And I thought of it for years before, um, like there was a place in the woods called Tannis in my mind for, for like a decade before the podcast. Longer, actually, like 15 years. So yeah. I love those books though. Those books are so good. I would watch that TV series. The they, they keep threatening all the time they're gonna make it, but you know, until I actually see it. As long as they don't make it like the Shannara Chronicles or whatever. <laughs> More like Game of Thrones. Or at least uh, the first six seasons. Yeah. <laughs> Kind of building off what we were just talking about, what has been your favorite uh, book or books that you've read recently? Um, I read recently. Let's see, uh, I have a huge stack. I'm reading a book called Anomaly that I really like. It's like for it's a French book. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I think that I'd have to go downstairs. I'm trying to think. Oh my gosh, what did I read? I read. Um, I have two bookshelves. I have one here and then one downstairs, and. Uh, what am I reading that? I have so much research that I can't even, I'll think well, about it if you ask me. Okay, question. or I mean, or uh, if we can uh, maybe go easier, is there a podcast or something that you'd recommend to us? That's not even easier. <laughs> I've been watching White Lotus on HBO Max. That's great. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's fantastic. That's been popping up on my feed here today for, for one reason or another, based on something that happened in the last episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. It's really good. Mike White's great. I mean, all of this stuff. Uh, yeah, I wish I had my my books. Um, just I ordered so I've every day like a package arrives, or we went to Book Soup and I, I bought like nine books and a record. Oh well, I can't think. Because obviously we, we we've been kind of talking about this. You 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 said you started off as a a fiction writer and then kind of fell into making movies after a film had been accepted into the Toronto Film Festival. Yeah. Um, has that original novel, is, is that something you have ever released? Is it something that you're still working on or? That, not, that cannot be released. It is not good. It is like ninth rate Don DeLillo at best. It is like an attempt to um, write some brilliant moving um, literary fiction and it is not working. <laughs> I can't read it. I can't even go back. I love the idea of it. Um, it might make a good movie, but yeah, no, I, I can't write that book. I feel anytime, like any like figurative language, when it's, if it's not Don DeLillo or the occasional Murakami or something, it just feels like so forced. I just can't, yeah, yeah I can't do it that well, so. What made you choose to make this rabbit's, uh, the rabbit's novel into a novel as opposed to making it a season three or, or, or a different version of rabbits? Yeah, that's a good question. It just was the book. As soon as I started, I was just like, yeah, I had no intention of, I wasn't thinking about another season of rabbits or, or anything. I just was sitting down to write, to write fiction or nonfiction, depending on how you see rabbits. Uh, it, yeah, I just, it was just so freeing and so fun to be, to be writing in that way again. It was like, it was like a revelation for me. It just sort of energized everything that came after it. Um, at least the first 20,000 words did after that. It was very, very difficult to finish, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and, and you know, it was still satisfying and, and, and moments were, you know, great, but that was a lot of work at the end. 
it was definitely never going to be anything else. In your novel, you mention a couple of paintings, art exhibits. There's um, Sandro Botticelli's 92 parchment illustrations for Dante's The Divine Comedy, which I hadn't seen those pieces, so I had to look them up. And I um, there was a few other paintings that you referenced. Do you have um, any particular genre of art history that you enjoy, or how did you decide to pull those pieces in? I um yeah I love I just took a survey course in university so I did two two years um, or two semesters no two years yeah twelve credits of of art history um, but yeah I love I don't know it's like I don't really have like there, there's no particular time or you know uh, genre of art Duchamp might be a little too much and too much installation stuff. And conceptual art is uh, some some is amazing, and others I find a little hard to digest. But then um, the same as like the old masters and stuff. I don't know about um, you know pre-Raphaelites and stuff. Is I mean I know I yeah I like I love all art, but I don't know enough about it to to like have, um, you know have a proper conversation. I, I just like you know see what I what I like. I am not authorized to speak about art. I had none of that series, so I went back and looked at it. I always think of um, the Uffizi has a lot of the, his pieces, like just the Birth of Venus or you know the classics. So it was good to learn something new from your your book. <laughs> yeah, no, I spent like yeah, I, I've I went through Botticelli and Dory, and like yeah, it's it, there's rabbit holes though for research, right? Where you mm -hmm. can and like I can I can get lost for hours um, on things that I should not be lost in and if it doesn't pay off with a nice little you know moment in the book or, or a visual or something I feel bad for a while <laughs> but having enjoyed the art it's still there's still some value yeah I was just curious um how you discovered or how you wanted to incorporate the Mandela effect um I it deals with you know false memories and I know that the Berenstein Bear uh reference that you had I swear that it was pronounced Berenstein, well, pronounced Berenstein, but spelled Berenstein. Yeah. It's my head wants it to be that. And so, I don't know, how did you stumble across that? And it works really well with your novel. Okay, I found a book that I'm reading that I just started though, Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff. And mm. um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I ordered and it came. Okay. So I haven't read that yet. Okay, so I, I have to answer with some books. I, the stack is so big down there. Um, Berenstein, <laughs> Berenstein, Nelson Mandela. Yeah, that, uh, it was, I'm trying to think of my sort of gateway Mandela, because we didn't have the Berenstein bears in Canada. Um, I mean, maybe perhaps we did, I don't remember, remember them either way, but, but everyone that I know remembers it incorrectly here. I don't know anyone who remembers it correctly, and I do like the Shazam with like Shaquille O'Neal. Like there are some things that I'm like, that I clearly remember um, being, being different. And I mean, like multiverse theory, like simulation theory is like very compelling. It's tough to, to write off quantum entanglement and quantum mechanic stuff um, when it comes to multiverse. So um, it's just, so like incredibly interesting it seems unlikely but uh but yet wouldn't it be nice <laughs> or would it or maybe it wouldn't um that, that sort of uh 
that's a great question i think too like what is it good is it bad is it um nature and who cares i mean it's it has no um alignment chaotic neutral i want to jump back just a little bit because you mentioned the once upon a time in hollywood are we are you looking at the novelization or are you talking because you've got it on or are we talking about the quentin tarantino one where he's talking about the behind the scenes thing uh the novelization i have i i just was looking at um I want to say because I can't have so many books that I'm in the middle of reading and I'll read five at a time so it's uh yeah I mean we are kind of to the point where we're, we're wrapping up is there anything else that you'd like to uh share with our listeners uh no I think it's, it feels like we covered the, the 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 entire range of rabbit's experience it was hard to do questions and not reveal too much. And you, you don't want to talk about rabbits, even though. <laughs> yeah, I'm not supposed to. Not supposed to, but the door is open. Yeah, the door is definitely open. Well, th thank you very much for making some time for us today. We appreciate it. Yeah, no, anything was fun. Yeah, it was great. Well, thank you again. It's been a lot of fun. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much, Jerry, for joining us at the BCPLN Stack. Rabbits by Terry Miles is in the library collection and the Public Radio Alliance podcasts are available for you to listen to. Rabbit Season 1 is available wherever you get your podcasts and Rabbit Season 2 is a Stitcher Premium exclusive. Rabbits can also be purchased through your favorite bookstore and online vendors. Check out its website, minnowbeatswhale.com. Stay safe and read, my friend. It's good for you. Bye. Bye.